Canadian Premier League newsroom presented by Volkswagen. We are back. Uh, it was a crazy weekend in the CPL, guys. But before we even get into that, uh, I'm Charlie O'Connor Clark, joined here on the panel by Mitchell Tierney and Alex Gange Ruzik because we have to talk about what happened last night in the Gold Cup quarterfinal between Canada and the United States. Two uh, two, Canada lose on penalties, but I feel like there's a lot more to the story than that uh agr let's start with you because you were obviously watching this game super closely what happened what was that what are your kind of immediate <laughs> thoughts after that game well what happened that was Concacaf, right i mean uh we should have sometimes Concacaf it, it foretells you things right i think we should have known that when that that poor assistant referee by the way, i hope he's okay uh yeah. got clobbered in the first minute with kamal miller that clearance eight minute delay uh, you know, that sub out the referee, which isn't something you see every day, kind of foretold what was going to be a chaotic game. And from there, the game actually settled in very nicely. I think Canada did well to establish themselves in the game. I feel like that was the first time all tournament we saw them really, you know, look like they wanted to to, to really push back and they were within in the fight a little. And we, we hadn't seen maybe that. And then in the 88th minute, just kind of got a wild U.S. score. Canada scores, go to extra time. They trade goals, goes to penalties. Uh, but ultimately, I think it was it was good to see the fight from Canada. I think that was a lot of what we were asking after the group stage, just seeing a bit of that old Canada from the last few years, um, seeing them, you know, go after the U.S. a bit, uh, really, you know, want to play a, a little. And I think that was needed. I think it was something where they lacked a little at times in the final third. And that was, you know, you would have liked to see a bit more from them. But ultimately, they were in the game. And I think that was the bare minimum anyone was asking for after what we saw in the group stages. Yeah, it certainly was. Man, so much else happened in that game that I actually forgot about that <laughs> assistant referee uh, going down in the, in the first minute. Again, hopefully he is okay. But yeah, so much happened. I, I mean, I wrote after the game that the, the penalty spot giveth and taketh away for Canada and kind of has done since the World Cup, really. There seems to be a strange relationship with this team and, and that that part because there's the two penalty shouts in the first half, I think one of them definitely should have been a penalty. The Miles Robinson handball, I'm not sold on the on the Richie Larea contact. Um, later in the game, you know, the, the karma comes back. It's Stephen Vittoria who steps up, as he should. Stephen Vittoria, again, I think the only player in that squad, certainly on the pitch at that time, that takes penalties regularly for his club. He scored 18 in his career, missed just three. I looked that up, so that's good to see. And then... You know, <laughs> at the end of the game, it's the penalty spot again, penalty shootout. You know, it's it's always a, a frustrating way to lose, but credit absolutely to Matt Turner, I think, as well, who was pretty ice cold and had some of those mind games and that psychological advantage as well. But Canada out of the Gold Cup, despite a pretty spirited and, and maybe a little bit more encouraging performance against the United States. Mitch, I know you were 
at York Lions Stadium for the CPL game last night, but I'm sure you had your eye on this one as well. Um, Gold Cup, four games. What is kind of the overall feeling at the end of that? Because I think we were very disappointed after the group stage, but maybe a little better after that quarterfinal. Do they balance out or, or where are you at right now? I think they're pretty close to balancing out because there's two things that Canada are really looking for uh, in this current stretch as they build towards 2026. And the first one is obviously trophies. There's no better experience than winning a trophy. Um, They missed out on doing that in the Nations League. They'll obviously miss out on doing that again in the Gold Cup. Um, And, you know, obviously heartbreaking because they really were this close. And then you get Panama in the next round. And who knows after that if you beat the States. But the next thing is just experiences in general. And there was no better experience, I think, than, than last night because that genuinely felt like a final. Um, between the penalty kicks, the way the match was played, just the intensity of the crowd, you know, that was really an experience that a lot of these players will get the opportunity to learn from that will, you know, serve them well the rest of their career. And I think that's incredibly important. And again, those are the kind of matches that Canada really need as they're trying to build this program forward. And not only that, they need to perform in the, those matches. And they absolutely did last night. You know, uh, again, we were we were joking or clowning on Herdman a little bit for saying they were this close after the, the Nations League final against the States when we were all like, did you really, you know, watch that match? But in this <laughs> one, genuinely, and again... Part of the concern at in the group stage was that maybe Canada's depth isn't as solid as we thought it was. You know, for Canada's depth pieces to go toe-to-toe with the U.S. depth like this was impressive and um, was an important step for the program. So there's a lot of positivity, I think, to come out of this as a whole. Um, yeah, obviously, you know, you would have liked to see them progress past the quarterfinals, but in terms of quarterfinal exits, I don't think it could have been more positive for Canada than this. Yeah, for me, it's kind of, it, it, you got a little in both hands here because while I think that is a, a pretty positive showing against a, a United States team that, in my opinion, was better than Canada and had been in the group stage, they shouldn't have been playing them in the first place, I think. Uh, whether, no matter what John Herbman said about wanting that matchup, <laughs> I, I really think that Canada should have won that group and been on the opposite side of the bracket and, and you know, maybe maybe Jamaica is also a very difficult out for Canada. But again, a- AGR, as Mitchell mentioned, there are a lot of players in, in this squad that come out of this tournament with incredible national team experience and in pretty high stakes environments, right? That's got to be a positive. What is it for you? Do you feel like this quarterfinal makes up for the group stage? Do you feel like Canada, you know, proved that they belong alongside the United States in, in this region? Or, or where are you at as well coming out of this tournament? Yeah, I guess it's it's mixed feelings because it is right that you can't forget the group stage necessarily. And especially again, like they should have won the group, right? Like this is, they got a gift of a group. Like if they're in a, maybe a tougher group, you'd almost, um, you know, understand that. Also, I guess, yeah, I mean, like it was good for them to go toe to toe with the US, but also on the other hand, like Canada also is at a stage where, yeah, like maybe, you know, moral victories. There, there's been a lot of more moral victories. At a certain point, you do got to get them over the line. So I think it's something where I think in isolation, the feeling after the game, like watching that game, I was like, that's good. That was what Canada needed. I think, you know, it's big because you saw guys step up. It's what we wanted all tournament. We saw Dane Sinclair show for a moment. Like, okay, maybe this is a guy who could be pushing to be Canada's number one. You saw, you know, Ali Ahmed continue to do Ali Ahmed things. You saw Jacob Schaufelberg come, come off the bench and be just an absolute wild card and, 
bring a directness that wasn't there. And I think a lot of that's all great in isolation. And I mean, we can talk about some of those individual standouts, but I think overall, if you sit back, Canada should be a team pushing for top four gold cups. They should be a team that, I mean, obviously it's, we, we can go into the, you know, they're playing in the U S they haven't won there since 57, but you know, the game was there. You're up two one in extra time. Good teams win from those positions. And, you know, I guess it just shows that uh, there's still uh, that, that next step Canada to take to be a true uh, giant of CONCACAF. But yeah, it is always encouraging to see them push, but it uh, feels like now it's been a, you know, at a certain point they'll, they'll have to find a way to get these over the line, but that's the next step of their evolution. Yeah, you make a really good point there about Canada being up with, I think, less than 10 minutes to go in extra time. You should win from there, from that position. And I think the way that they played after that was you know, maybe a little disappointing for me. I think they sat back maybe a little bit too much against the U.S. team that had clearly been at their throats, especially from that left flank. I mean, Cade Cowell and Brandon Vasquez were pretty incredible, I think, once they come into the game. Um, so let's just... just go into a couple more of our takeaways agr you mentioned a lot of individuals there and as mitchell mentioned you know whether we agree with all the lineup choices or not there are a lot of younger players that got first team national team experience and a lot of it at this tournament i mean even in this game alone the standouts dane sinclair obviously hadn't had a lot of starts to the national team jacob schaffelberg probably the best player on the pitch for canada after he comes into the game and scores what would have been an iconic canadian soccer moment uh, if things had, had not ended the way they did. And honestly, for me, still might be one of the best moments this country's had at the Gold Cup, I think. Not that there's necessarily been a ton of them. But, Mitchell, for you, coming out of these four games in this tournament, who is standing out for you? What players are giving you the most hope as we head into you know, the, the next 2024 and road to 2026? Yeah, there was a while there when we would have just celebrated a Gold Cup goal, let alone a Gold Cup goal in extra time against the United States in the quarterfinals. But um, yeah, with that being said, you know, I think there's there's a number of players that stood out this tournament. Uh, Dane St. Clair, as you mentioned, I think he's only really played those kind of tricky matches for a goalkeeper for Canada where they're, they're against the lesser opponents where, you know, any goal you allow is, is going to be seen as, as an error. And obviously, you know, we saw the game against Cuba where he looked a little nervous. He gave away that penalty. That was a difficult one. So for him to rebound this quickly and deliver a performance like that against, you know, one of the best teams in the tournament was, was obviously excellent and, and shows his experience. Um, yeah, Liam Miller. Um, I think I think the tactical flexibility from him is important. You know, Canada maybe doesn't have the beyond the the two main ones, the number nine depth that uh, you know that they were um, they they would hope to. So Miller's maybe another option there in terms of the energy he can bring uh, out there and you know out wide. There's a lot to like in, in what he can do. Um, Ahmed Schaffelberg, you mentioned uh, another guy who obviously uh, you know has been with this team for a while, but who was kind of the one of the main performers for Canada, Richie Larea, you know, going yeah. into this, this tournament, those key veterans, you were hoping that they would kind of take their game to the next level and be, you know, the standout leaders on this team. And no one exemplified that more than, than Larea over the course of this tournament. So I think he's starting to really lock down a spot as, you know, a key veteran on this team who just keeps getting better for the national team. Absolutely. There's a, a question in the chat here from Arthur that I'll, I'll throw to you, AGR. Have we seen enough from these performances, this iteration of the Canadian men's national team to bring any clarity on who might be starting for this team at center back come 2026. I, my immediate thought is no, but what are your thoughts on kind of the defensive depth and the players that have started to get some reps in at center back for this team? 
I would say there's a few. I think the big one, I think sometimes absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I think Derek Cornelius's stock continues to rise immensely. And I think it's really unfortunate he was injured. And he's someone where even just the Nations League final, they could have used him massively and throughout this tournament. So I think this just kind of grew my appetite of seeing Cornelius play a bigger role in this back line going forward. I think, you know, for Zach McGraw, he did grow throughout the tournament. And I think, uh, you know, he did well enough in what was a relatively uncomfortable position, right? I think he looks a lot more like someone who could be a Vittoria replacement versus someone who would play on the outside of a back three. So, you know, maybe a bit more. I'd like to see a bit more from McGraw in a role like that before, uh, you know, go go to too much conclusion on what he can be in a Canadian shirt. Heck, that kind of goes with the point with Moisa Bombido. Again, I mean, it was 45 minutes against Guatemala, but I'll hold on to those 45 minutes. I uh, have him at right center back till I see more of it. Um, so like th- that, for example, if those as a back three, that gives Can a lot more speed than we've, we've seen in the past. It gives him a bit more aerial presence, maybe a goal like the Brandon Vasquez one doesn't happen if they have a bit more of that, um, on the field. So I think there, there were some where those three in particular, you could, uh, you, you could look at them as, as potential options. Um, but also the fact that we didn't see McGraw in the middle of a back three, the fact we didn't see Bombino on, on the outside of a back three also feels like missed opportunities to see what they could have been about to help that center back position. Yeah, it certainly does. I would have would have liked to see a little bit more of Bombito in that back three. Would have liked to see Dominic Zator a little bit more. And obviously, there's a lot of other players in the pool. I'm thinking, you know, as you said, Cornelius, Joel Waterman. You know, there's plenty of other center backs in this pool that I think will get those opportunities before 2026. So to answer your question, Arthur, I don't think there's a lot of clarity on who will be starting for this team in defense uh, uh, three years from now. But AGR, you said one thing there that was interesting and important. You said... Stephen Vittoria replacement. And I think, boys, tell me if you disagree, but I think we're at a place here where I think that there's a few players in this squad that are probably on the the back nine of their time with this national team, some kind of veteran players that have been with this program a long time that I think we're starting to look for successors for. So, Mitchell, we'll go to you first. Are there players you think that this national team is in a position to you know, adequately replace or move on from over the next maybe year or two? What's hard is I don't think we saw that as much as we would have hoped to at this tournament. I mean, the obvious one is is Dane St. Clair and, and what he did in this this U.S. game in terms of Milan Borian. But if you talk to anyone in the Canada camp, they say that Milan keeps coming in and outperforming all the other goalkeepers. So that becomes a tricky one in the sense that, you know, you don't want to not reward those players who are still coming in and giving shifts. And we know the leadership he has, but at some point, you know, you have to give someone else an opportunity. You know, net is the trickiest position because there's only one of them. And and you have to kind of give games. And obviously this this one came as a result of an injury. But, um, yeah, you know, Dane took it with, with two hands and, and did incredibly well. So there's one to watch. But at the back, um, you know, as AGR kind of outlined, there wasn't enough in terms of players grabbing that opportunity and making it clear that they are – you know, the, the successor to, to Vittoria going forward. And, you know, Stephen Vittoria was still quality over his over the last, you know, few weeks with the, with the Canadian men's national team. So uh, I think you'd hope to, to maybe phase a player like that out just because of his age and because, uh, you know, you'd hope that at the centre-back position, Canada has better options. But at the moment, uh, Vittoria is still um, top quality. His leadership still important. And it's, it's such a tricky balance between wanting to give those guys – um, some of those lower or those players lower in the depth 
those opportunities and at the same time wanting them to earn those opportunities it's always a, a tricky balance especially for a national team coach where you only have so many games and you know a lot of them are Im- competitive and important yeah it's it's tough because again for me i think atiba hutchinson is already retired i don't think milan borian is a starter in 2026 i don't think steven vittoria is on his team in 2026 and i don't think junior hoylet is on his team in 2026. So those are all areas of, of the pitch where this team is looking for for players to step up and fill those shoes, players who have all been very good for this national team for a very long time that, you know, it's it's maybe a, a torch passing time. And it is going to be interesting to see 2024 for this team. They have to qualify for a Copa America, maybe play in a Copa America. And those are all going to be first team kind of games, right? A-team games where there isn't a lot of opportunity to experiment or, or give minutes to younger players. Right. Um, anyway, boys, I think, I think we've gone a little bit long here. So let's, let's uh, move on to this Canadian premier league weekend. So we're going to have both of you two back later in the show. Uh, but for now, I think we, uh, we need to move on to, to the Canadian premier league. So Benny, if we swap out these two boys and we get the Canadian premier league results board up on the screen here so that we can, move fully into what was a pretty fascinating week in the CPL. We started out in Langley where Vancouver FC beat Halifax Wanderers at home thanks to Gabby Bittar and Mickey Cantav scoring his first goal for that club. Saturday night was uh, was a, a pretty pretty tasty clash, a bit of a rivalry clash we've seen over the years. Pacific losing rarely at home to Cavalry FC 2-1. Cavalry getting their goals from Eric Kobza and Frazier Aired, which we're going to have to get to. That's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Atletico Ottawa 2, Valor 0, Ollie Bassett scoring from the penalty spot, and then Zach Verhoeven sealing that at the end of the game for, I think, three in a row at home wins for Atletico Ottawa. And then last night, at the same time as that Canada-USA craziness, a 9-0-5 derby at York Lions Stadium where Forge might be back. They win 4-0 at York Lions Stadium, a Terran Campbell hat trick. And a Tristan Borges goal, his first in, in quite a while, I think, since last season, which is very positive for him. But, okay, we're going to start out on the West Coast on Vancouver Island. And if we play the highlights from Pacific and Cavalry, this game for me was uh, an 8 out of 10. It had a little bit of everything. You know, there's attacking quality in the first half from Cavalry. This is a really nice little clever heads-up play from midfielder Eric Kobza, a U-sports guy who's really fitting into that midfield um, but then in the second half, big miss chances from Pacific, some good defending. They miss another penalty, which is going to be really frustrating for Pacific FC. That's two games in a row now. And it's a bit of a tactical tug of war because Pacific start this game in a, a 4-2-3-1. That at halftime, they feel like they're maybe losing some ground in midfield. So James Merriman brings on Sean Young, goes back to that pretty traditional 4-3-3 that they're a lot more comfortable and they can't come back. But I think overall, this is a fascinating game because Cavalry hadn't won on the road at all this year until last week. And now they've done it twice in a row against a Valor and a Pacific team that very, very rarely lose at home. So I think that there's there's a lot to take out of this game. Cavalry especially feel like they're keeping themselves in the race. I think this was a game that they had to get something out of, if not win to keep themselves, you know, alive in the title hunt. I I think that puts them just four points back of Pacific at the top. And if they'd lost, it would have been, I want to say 10. 
where somebody else will check my map later because I can't do that on the fly. But anyway, as we uh, as we stay at Starlight Stadium, let's start by hearing the thoughts of the winning manager, Cavalry FC's Tommy Wilden Jr. That felt like a playoff game. It felt like a, a top of the table clash. Um, I thought first half we were some of our nicest movement of the ball, ball circulation opportunities, and we felt disappointed it was only 2-0 um, half-time. And then Gote has that chance right before, then they have the penalty. And I think you know, we expected Pacific, they've had a terrific season, we expect them to throw everything at us. And then near the end, we had to suffer a bit and something we did you know, a little bit last week. And you know, when you come away from home, you've got to show another side here. If you're going to pick three points up away from home, you've got to be able to be prepared to suffer. And you know, they're the best attacking side in the league so far. So uh, uh, I think we showed both sides of our game, which I'm uh, delighted with. Again, progress for Cavalry FC. That's a game that maybe they don't win earlier in the season where they dropped a lot of points from winning positions. I think they took the lead twice in against Pacific at Starlight Stadium in, in their first game there and then later in the Canadian Championship. Didn't win either of those games. And you know that, that was something that they did a lot early in the season. But recently we're seeing Cavalry hold on to those leads, kill off games, maybe not scoring that extra insurance goal that they'd probably have wanted in this game, but... Again, that's a, a really gutsy performance, and a lot of that is down to their midfield. Eric Kobza, again, University of Calgary, probably an early front runner for the, the best pick of the 2023 U Sports draft. And then Jesse Daly, who has also been fantastic in that midfield. And there's a lot of depth, I think, suddenly, all of a sudden, in that Calgary midfield, because Charlie Trafford will be back. He was suspended. Chamit Shom comes off the bench for the first time since like the first week in April, second week in April. For Cavalry, so there's a lot of options in that double pivot for Cavalry, and all over the pitch, good good performances. I mean, Meyer Bevan had a lot of shots, and it's his back heel that sets up Fraser Aird's goal. And Fraser Aird played maybe his best game that I've seen him play in a Cavalry shirt. So again, this is a team that's in suddenly really really good form. So before we move on to Pacific, let's go back there and let's just hear a few words on Eric Cobza and what that midfield was able to do in this game. We're playing against the top of the table. Their midfield is probably one of their strongest parts. And and um, me and Jesse had to adjust, I think. Sean Young came in second half, gave us different pictures to kind of look at. But we stuck together, stayed as uh, compact as a unit. Shamit came in after a long time away, and it was good to have him back. Um, but, you know, this group, everything we do to, is together. And, and we battle for each other. I think that's the most important part. Um, we're together, and we stay strong as a unit. So uh, as long as we keep doing that, the sky's the limit. Not sure what that beeping was in the background, and I didn't have enough time to think of a good joke for it. So we're gonna have to move directly on to Pacific, who miss another penalty this time. It's it's Manny Aparicio who puts it, like in the Salish Sea. It was way over the bar. Uh, but something that I think sticks out for me about Pacific is, and and it's something we'll hear Amir Didich talk about in a second. But their first half performances have not been great recently or really really a lot of times this year uh this is a game where you know they, they get kind of dominated in the first half they haven't scored a first half go-ahead goal in the last five games and i think they've only done it four times all season which is a bit of a problem for me where you know you're not starting games well you need either a, a rough a rough first half or you need to go down by a goal to really switch it on again you're in first place but it feels like there's maybe things 
even for the the best team in the league so far to work on. So let's just hear Amir Didich's thoughts on that specific problem. It's been a, a little bit of a situation or a raising topic that's been uh, over the past couple of games where we're, where we're finding ourselves in these situations where we're we're down early or we're our first half we come out we come out slow we come out not how we want to come out and it takes something for us in today's game it's two goals you know and and we come out second half it's it's a bit better of a second half for us but it's been kind of a recurring theme these past couple of games where it takes something something a goal or something um, negative towards us where we come out second half and it's a, it's a different team and, and we push and we push but and it's just a matter of coming out from minute one and and playing that way and and that's what we have to strive to do you know and good thing it's uh, we got two more two games this week and it's always the next game you look forward to and luckily we have one Tuesday and, and we're right back at it playing and, and fighting and, and learning from these games especially today pretty thoughtful and honest reaction from Amir Didich, who I think was was very good in this game and has been all year but you can tell that that's clearly something that they've been talking about in the Pacific dressing room and, and has been a problem and they'll be very disappointed that it happened again in this game uh, before we talk very quickly about what's next for this club let's just hear one more thought on Pacific and their performance in this game and let's go back and hear from their coach James Merriman I think overall we we disappointed in ourselves. Um, I think it, we make it difficult for ourselves when we're hesitant in the final third and we don't take clear chances. It invites pressure against yourself. Um, we had moments where we need to be decisive there and 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 take goals, and we didn't. We need to be better in front of goal. wasn't good enough. And then overall in the first half, I don't think our energy was there. In the second half, we pushed, but then we're chasing the game. We have another couple of clear chances. We, we miss a penalty, uh, another clear chance right at the, the last second of the game, and we don't take it. So you don't score goals. It's, it's difficult to win games. It's very difficult to win games if you don't score goals. Uh, James Merriman, by the way, signing last week a, a three-year contract extension with two more options. To stay as head coach of Pacific, it's a, a very well-deserved reward for a Vancouver Island boy who has been I, I believe that the winning as coach in the cpl since he took over at pacific with over two points a game i think with that club so congratulations to him pacific three points clear at the top of the table still they've got two games in hand on forge in second place but they're going to make one of those games up very soon tomorrow night actually tuesday night they are all the way on the other side of the country in halifax which is a very difficult travel schedule for pacific but a pretty important bounce back game for them as they go out to a very tricky Wanderers grounds to play it. Cavalry, meanwhile, they're also playing in midweek. They're going back home, though, and on Wednesday night, they're going to host Atletico Ottawa. Now, from the island, let's go to the nation's capital, and let's bring in Benedict Rhodes, because you guys have heard far more than enough of me in the last 10, 15 minutes. But, Benedict, before we talk about this Atletico Ottawa and Valor game, You've been all over the coverage for us at campl.ca on the Canadian women's national team with the World Cup coming up later this month. They announced their final 23-player squad on Sunday. Just give me your your overall takeaways from that, what your thoughts are on the roster itself and, and this team's prospects with the World Cup starting in 10 days. Yeah, I think, you know, those are many surprises except for, you know, one huge one, which was Olivia Smith being part of the, the final team. And I think, you know, in the issues there as a training player in Australia, we know she's a top prospect and 
and she's a player who Bev Priestman is very high on, but I don't think any of expected us, I expected her, excuse me, to to be part of that final 23 players, especially, you know, with the clear Solarissi in, in fantastic form at the moment in her club club team. And uh, she was on the preliminary squad. So I think to see, see Smith, you know, make it into the team over Larissi is, is a sign of just how much Bev Priestman trusts Olivia Smith. And, and, uh, and we're not, we're not privy to the information of what's happening in camp, but, uh, you know, I think it's, it, it's fair to say that you know, Smith must have done something that really impressed Priestman and and uh, you know put her over the edge to get into that team. Uh, another unfortunate thing about this squad is you know, no Desiree Scott. Uh, it could be her final World Cup or possibly final major tournament with Canada, and and to see her you know injured and on the with the final team is, is a bit disappointing for for Desiree Scott. And uh, also you know two players who were injured were able to find their way back into the team, and that's Nichelle Prince and Deanne Rose. So. Uh, exciting to see both of them back from from long-term Achilles injuries and uh, make this final squad. Prince especially has not played a competitive minute so far this season. Uh, so to see her her ready to go and and Beth Priestman, you know, believes she's able to make an impact on this on this squad. So I uh, think that's a positive, huge positive for Canada and for Michelle Prince. Yep. Uh, again, the the Women's World Cup opening in ten days for Canada when they take on Nigeria, followed by games against the Republic of Ireland and hosts Australia. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's a very tough group. We will be all over it on the the written side at campl.ca. Benedict will be all over it. I'll have some stuff. Uh, maybe a few other people will have some some writing around that tournament. So keep an eye out for that at campl.ca. As you know, we all we all love a World Cup here, and I think Canada at a World Cup is is very special. But we'll go back to the CPL now. Let's play the highlights from Atletico, Ottawa, and Valor. Big three points for Ottawa, as you wrote, Benny. Give me your rating out of 10 for this game and what you liked about it overall. Uh, I'll give it a 7. I think I think it was, it was a pretty good game. I think, you know, coming in, the, the storyline was that both teams really needed a win here. Like, you know, Ottawa coming into the into the week as the regular season champions a year ago, sitting bottom of the table. And, I mean, obviously, you know, that's not somewhere they want to be. And, and they needed kind of a statement win, I guess, in front of their home fans. And that's exactly what they got. Uh, it was a game where, you know, maybe they didn't have as many goals as they maybe could have had. I think there was, you know, Ali Bass and Abubakari Sako probably could have had about 15 goals each in this game. Uh, but, but they, they weren't able to find the back net uh, only twice in this game. But, uh, you know, still three huge points for them. And for Valor, still a team, you know, looking at looking for answers, I guess, for, for their sort of stagnant attack at the moment where they've now gone four games without an open play goal. Uh, that's something that they need to change, you know, and very fast. Yeah, and we will get to Valor in a second because that is a big concern. But Ottawa, this was, I, I thought that they looked quite good in this game. And Ali Bassett and Abubakari Sako, as you mentioned, both getting into the team of the week this week. And I think that's well deserved. And there are probably a few other players that could have got in there if we were able to fit them in. But uh, Benedict, that's that's a, a big day for them. Just tell me a little bit about what you thought that Atletico Ottawa did well to win another game at home when earlier in the season it was a big story that they weren't doing that. Yeah, I think the, the the things of the attack looked very fluid in this game. They looked like they were they were getting forward, you know, regularly. They were they were finding ways to break through the lines, and uh, I think a big part of that was you know Ali Bassett playing. A, I think you know player of the year candidate form uh, once again, and and you know how good he can be. Of course, he won the award last year, and in this game, you know, there's a few instances where he, he played the ball in behind for, for Sacco, for Shaw, uh, Malcolm Shaw, that is, um, and and you know and also in the first half, you know, Ruben Del Campo in his first ever appearance for Atletico Ottawa looked look brilliant. Uh, only 45 minutes. They're trying to sort of work his way up to, to full fitness. But, uh, you know, in the 45 minutes he did play and, and for Zapatera in the second half as well. But both of them looked really good in, in their first first game in, in the red and white. 
Absolutely. Uh, friends of the podcast, Arter's in the chat talking about Ollie Bassett, who he says has the best first touch in the CPL and, and another MVP caliber performance. I don't think I can disagree with that. He was outstanding in this game. And Anthony saying Ottawa was all over Valor, which they really were at a lot of times in this game. So a, a pretty positive performance from Ottawa. And let's go back to TD Place and get the thoughts of their captain, Carl Hauer. Yeah, it's big. I mean, um, the way the CPL is set up is everything's so tight at, at, at all times. So, you know, all it takes is to, to get a bit of momentum together, put a couple of good results together, and you can move up that table pretty quick. Um, you know, conversely, if, if you, have, you drop a couple of games in a row, all of a sudden you find yourself down near the bottom. So it's just a reminder that every game is, is just as important as, as the next. And, um, you know, we need to stay focused. But you, you can see how much it meant to us today. Um, you know, celebrating with the fans. They've given so much um, for us all season, you know, home or away. So it's so nice, nice to get one for them here at home. And uh, yeah, you just got to keep that momentum going now. Got to keep that momentum going. Ottawa's just one point out of a playoff spot all of a sudden. They've got 15 points. Uh, ben, you mentioned Del Campo and Alberto Zapater making their debuts for Atletico Ottawa. Two really, really big midseason signings. Uh, if you don't know about Zapater, Google him. El Toro, he played with some absolutely massive players in the Spain under 20 squad. Uh, he played against Messi for Spain uh, and I, I believe scored in a, in a, I think it was a quarterfinal at the FIFA under 20 world cup. Um, he played a whole lot of La Liga games for Zaragoza. Um, a, an incredible player, Benny, you, you touched on them briefly, but just give me another maybe 30 seconds on your thoughts on these debuts and what these two players could mean and could change for Atletico Ottawa for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, it sounds a little obvious because we need in the sport, but the thing Ottawa needs, I guess, are, are goals and, and some some steel in midfield. And I think these two players provide exactly that. You know, Del Campo, he, may, he made a, he probably should have scored in the first half. He made a great run in behind on a, on a long pass up the pitch and uh, just kind of missed the missed high and wide, I guess, from a, from a shot from a pretty tight angle. But, you know, there, there are a few times where he got in behind or, or played someone else in behind. He played Sam Salter uh, in the first half and, you know, he showed he showed flashes that he could he could be a, a real difference maker in attack for them, uh, and as for Zapater, he got the, the second forty five minutes and he just kind of provided that you know calmness and and sort of solidity I guess to this midfield. You know, maybe we've talked about before. I think he they they've kind of been missing I guess since they lost Abdul Sissoko in the off season. So to bring in someone who's a sort of veteran midfield presence like that is is a huge get for them. And you know a midfield with him and Ali Bassett and, and Noah Verhoeven is you know, a pretty good midfield in the Canadian Premier League. That's absolutely right. I don't think they ever really quite replaced Abdul Sissoko in the offseason. So maybe maybe they have done so now. And Del Campo, we should mention, because we, we spoke about Zapater, a uh, 23-year-old from Switzerland who Carlos Gonzalez knows very well because he played under him in the Atletico Madrid Academy. So you know, good, good connection there to have. Before we touch on Valor at the end here, let's just go back to TD Place one more time and let's hear from Ottawa's head coach, Carlos Gonzalez. Not only with the six, you know, uh, with pl more options. At the end of the day, um, if we have more tools, we can do more things. And it's about that, but very happy for everyone, not only the, the two new guys that, that they perform well and they add to the team, also the, the performance of every single player that, that played today in the field. I think that they gave good things to the team in every phase and they, they play, play with pride and, and they show the spirit that we we brought out in the last few games against Forge, against Pacific. I think that it's very important that we play with that spirit and it's very important that, that we create that synergies again within, between, the, between the people here in Ottawa, between 
between all of us. You know, I think that this is uh, so important that in the key moments it's going to give us a, bo a boost and, and it's going to push us. Now, Valor, another zero on the board. There seem to have been quite a few of those lately. Uh, they're they're seventh in the table because Ottawa leapfrogs them here with this win. It's their fourth win. Valor have just three on the season. Uh, Benedict, what is going wrong for this club at the moment who just aren't putting the ball in the net? Yeah, it's exactly that. They're not putting the ball in the net. It's been four games now, four four full games where they haven't been able to put the ball in the net from a non penalty goal, and you know, that's just that's just not good enough really. And, and Phil DeSantos has 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 been frustrated, saying like. You know, we're getting the chances. We're 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 playing quite well at times, but you know, if you're not putting the ball in the back of the net, it doesn't mean anything. You know, the the only stat that matters is is the final score, and 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 for for Valor, that's that's been frustrating. And in this game, you know, they just look out of answers at times. Like in the second half, you know, Matteo Debrien played some played a striker for a little bit. Keen Williams played up there. Andrew John Baptiste played up there. Uh, I think Phil DeSantis might have subbed himself in up there if he had the opportunity to. Uh, it got that bad at times for Valor, and and you know, they're just. They just need someone to come in. You know, Jaime Sias wasn't wasn't feeling 100%. He didn't play in this game. He was on the bench, but didn't come in. And uh, you know, I, I think you know they just need something to happen. They need some kind of spark, I guess. And whether that's maybe starting someone like Keen Williams up there, where he can he can get in behind and he can make the run. We know he's a good shot on him as well. And uh, but they, they just need some answers. And at the moment, they have a lot more questions. Absolutely. I mean, we we do have to say, Valor. Also, just one point out of the playoffs, but it definitely feels like one of those moments where you're just begging a ball to go in the net. Somehow, it's probably going to be ugly. You just need to get one on the board, and then maybe the confidence comes back. So let's just hear the final word on Valor, though, from their head coach, Phil DeSantis. So we can maybe sit back for a couple of minutes here and, and hear Phil's dulcet tones as he breaks down another frustrating night for his club. Well, when a team is finding a hard time scoring... Uh, and you concede in a moment of the game where you're you're in a, a better position than the opposition. I feel like even in the first half it was the case. Uh, you start having these ghosts that come back. Uh, I go back to I was looking at it. We scored our last two. Uh, our last goal was four games ago. So. Obviously, it's hard to win games if you don't score, and uh, it's been a recurring situation. So when you're getting your chances, I go back to uh, AJB was a very good chance on a set play. I look at the ball that hit the post from Pacific when we were already 1-0 down. Then it just builds up. You're trying to force things. You're, you lose clarity. You're, uh, you're taking risks that normally you wouldn't take on the ball, and I think that today the game was about that. I think that once they found the first goal off a penalty kick and as the game progressed in the um, with time, we started to take too many risks and that even opened up the game more for them. So that's the story. Right now we need to find solutions and find ways to, uh, uh, to score. I've said it way too often for the last few games, so I don't, uh, don't want to hit too much on that. Again. Difficult times for Valor, but you know maybe maybe watch this space. I believe they may have some options that they may be weighing in the transfer window as well to try and maybe turn their their goal scoring form around. Benedict, in thirty seconds or less, what is coming up next for Atletico Ottawa and Valor this week? Yeah, Atletico Ottawa a busy week. They play midweek uh, in Calgary against Calgary FC, and then they return back home on the weekend to play Vancouver FC. 
Uh, and, and Valor, meanwhile, doesn't get any easier for them. They're going to play Forge FC in Hamilton. Uh, Forge FC, of course, who, who scored four goals the other night. And, uh, you know, they're looking to, to sort of put a run of form together as well. So it doesn't get any easier for them. And Ottawa looking to, you know, they're, they, they're planning and, and hoping to try to get the, the full nine points this week. Absolutely. Ottawa definitely will feel like they're in position, as Arthur says again in the chat, to get nine points and maybe make a bit of a climb up the table. Benedict, thank you so much. As always, everybody, you can read his stuff at campiel.ca, as you can for everybody that you're going to see on this show. Well, not the players and coaches. They don't write for us yet. But um, all of the all of the panelists that you are hearing from today, you can read them at campiel.ca. Now, we will go back out to British Columbia to the West Coast for Friday night's game. We'll bring Alexander Gange Ruzik back into the studio here to talk to us about Vancouver FC 2, Halifax Wanderers 1. And as we play the highlights here, AGR, you're on this game for us. So just tell me what you liked about this game. You said Vancouver reached the mid midpoint of their season in style. So give me a rating out of 10 for this game and, and what, what stood out to you. Yeah, this was a good little battle out here Friday night uh, in BC and uh, Vancouver. They're just continuing to grow. So I'd say for, for in terms of a compelling rating, I'd say about a seven and a half because I think this was a very okay. good tactical matchup. And that's I'm always a big fan of that. And uh, that's what's been good to, to see from Vancouver, that they're growing. I think uh, they came out, got off to a good start, opened the, the scoring early. But then Halifax, right away, right back in it. Thiago Coimbra, not many hotter than him right now, especially among U21 players getting his third goal and I think it's four or five games so he's in good form uh, and then from that point on it was it was a good entertaining battle and, and both teams were, were pushing Vancouver is doing a great job of pressing Halifax making them uncomfortable hitting them in transition while uh, you know Halifax when they did break those lines they were they were showing good danger in the final third but ultimately the biggest thing for Vancouver is that they took their chances they were clinical and then despite having a very makeshift back line no Callum Irving as he unfortunately dealt with the stomach bug uh, they still managed to, to to get a win with backup goalkeeper Jeremy Zielinski putting in a, a big shift uh, with, along with the defenders in front of him and I think that's a, a sign of the growing maturity of this Vancouver team that they're now able to, to climb and, and you know kind of claw out results like this. Yeah, the growing maturity of the Vancouver team, I think, is is an, a good way of putting it. AGR, I, Stefan in the chat is asking if we think that VFC maybe has, has turned a page, maybe turned a corner, uh, and can maybe start to put a string of wins together. I think this is this is a game where maybe they don't win earlier in the season. It's a quite a, a mature performance. Uh, AGR, tell me a little bit about who stood out for you. You've mentioned a few, and and you wrote a lot about the young defense maturing. But I think we're also owing some credit to Mickey Cantav. Just tell me a little bit about which players and, and which parts of this game t stood out for you from Vancouver. Yeah, I mean, to, to start with Cantav, he continues to, to be a, a good injection of quality slash experience slash, you know, just, you know, magic making, as Vancouver says in the chat. It's a good way of putting him. He does bring a bit of, of magic, that, that moment in, in the final third that Vancouver is sometimes lacking because they continue to yeah. get into good areas, but it's just moments where... You want that that one touch finish. You want that that final ball, and I think Cantabe has brought that immediately. His goal is a great example. Such a beautiful build up for them to, for, you know, quack to Hundal. Ball sits up for Cantabe. Maybe if that's another player, they try to take a second touch or they try to do too much. It's just a simple no. Let's keep it low. Keep it simple. Get the goal. Uh, and they've needed that in the the, the final third. And it's, it, what's nice also about how the way he's playing is. 
he's obviously brought his quality, but it's rubbing off on the others, right? The others are mm-hmm. are, are starting to, to take those those moments. They're they're, they're starting to, to to take off that. And then defensively on the other side, I think it, it has to be said that this is Vancouver's best stretch of the season. They haven't allowed, uh, you know, like three, four, fives that they were putting up defensively earlier in the year. They're they're you know this is one to a game at most, and they're they're putting in good defensive performances, and that's despite suspensions, injuries. Uh, you know, Irving gets a stomach bug. You're not worried. Uh, some of their midfielders have been dealing with suspensions. Ibrahim Bakare was out with the suspension, but, you know, Rocco Romeo's become a real leader. The players around him have, have stepped up, and I think um, that shows that they're really starting to buy in defensively right now. Rocco Romeo really has become quite a leader for this Vancouver team. He is in the team of the week, as is Mickey Cantav. Uh, I, I really tried to fit Minjay Kwak in there and Gabby Batar. Uh, and, and even Sean Hundall, but there were a lot of strong performances around the league this week. So, so maybe honorable mentions for them at the moment. Now, just for a, a couple more thoughts on Vancouver Football Club, let's go back to Willoughby Park and let's hear from their manager, Afshin Gopi. I felt with an exception of a little bit at times shaky start. Uh, of course, the goal erased that shaky start, but then immediately we, were, we looked a bit nervous. Uh, once we calmed down after 10 to 15 minutes, I thought we dominated the game and I thought we were very, very good, especially uh, when we won the ball, how we created space and openings and chances that we created. Uh, the combinations that we had with Mikel, Sean, Gabby, uh, I think were phenomenal. And we, uh, even Minj's industrial hard work on the side channel. So, uh, great performance and I thought second half, with an exception, of course, is natural. You're winning 2-1 and you haven't won so many games and it's nervous to keep the the, the result, uh, I think it was, a, it was a, one of our best performances. Certainly one of their best performances against a Halifax team that had been playing very well recently. Uh, and we, we'll, we're just going to get one more thought on Vancouver before we move on and talk about Halifax, because I want to hear the thoughts of their midfielder, who has been maybe an underrated presence since he's come back from injury, Elliot Simmons. So let's go back and hear from him. That was the first time we've come out and we've maybe been on the front foot, uh, scored early on in the game. But I know, I think it was a, for us, it was a very enjoyable game. I think we're getting that enjoyment back in the football. It was maybe a bit uglier than we wanted, but that's sometimes football. And it's about, you know, we're in a position where we need to start changing our season. And that's what we said today. We're going to, you know, it doesn't matter how we're going to do it, but we're getting three points and sort of onwards and upwards from here. And I love, I love that Elliot said that they're getting their enjoyment back in football because that's what it's all about. And I got to be honest, it looks like fun when Vancouver Football Club wins a game there. I've only been there for one game this year. It was that draw against Cavalry, which kind of felt like a win in their first home game. But when they win games, it looks like they are enjoying it. But Halifax, a team that certainly does enjoy winning at home as well, as we saw last week. Going back home a little bit more disappointed this time. So they were unbeaten in four coming here, but maybe didn't look quite their best in this game, AGR. What do you think maybe went wrong for them? Was Vancouver stopping them from playing their game or, or were they not doing something right in this game? I'd say a bit of both. At least certainly that was kind of the sentiment from Halifax. They did feel that there were moments where they could have done better, but I'd honestly say credit has to be given to Vancouver. And I think what was fascinating about this game was just the way that Vancouver pressed Halifax and how Halifax responded. Cause I think what's been clear with Halifax is they like to build up. They want to, they have their possession patterns. They build in a three, but also, you know, sometimes they build in a four 
uh, and I think Lorenzo Caligari, right? The the CPL Busquets, uh, you know, as as he's been coined, uh, you know, in week one of the newsroom, he's key to it. And I thought what was fascinating is that Vancouver they kind of came out in this four one four one, and one of the midfielders' jobs was to really, and that was Elliot Simmons, was to really step on Lorenzo Caligari, and I think it worked. Uh, you know, it was he was almost getting man marked in possession, and because of that, almost blew my mind because like when you check the the foot mob after the game you're used to seeing Lorenzo Caligari like 130 touches 120 touches I checked in the 75th minute he had 53 touches that I mean that's wow. still a lot but for Lorenzo Caligari that mean you know it felt like he was just not as involved in the game and I think what we saw and you know Patrice Geiser admitted as much a lot of their play runs through Caligari and um you know, that, that still doesn't mean he's the only option. They do have other areas to build out of, but the fact that Vancouver did take Caligari out of the game seemed to, to you know, catch Halifax by surprise, and they almost, uh, you know, weren't able to play through their other options as effectively until it was too late, and they were they, they made that push. So for, for Halifax, it, it, it was interesting to see that, okay, maybe, uh, you know, in, in weeks going forward, especially on the road where you're maybe not able to control as much of the elements that, uh, you know, potentially they could have used another deep-lying midfielder to come in and fill in for, for Caligari. And um, the fact that Caligari just kept dropping deeper and deeper, that invited Vancouver to press higher and higher. And it, uh, it led to Halifax getting hemmed in a lot into their own end, which we don't really see a lot from them. Yeah, Caligari finished with 88 touches. So maybe he got in the ball a little bit more late in the game, but certainly not uh, not the, the wild numbers that he usually puts up in, in terms of setting the tempo of the game. By the way, Massimo Ferran created five chances in this game. He's another player that was close to the team of the week. But for the last word on Halifax, let's go back to Langley one more time and get the thoughts of their head coach, Patrice Geyser. That would be crazy to say we deserved a win, but I think a tie would have been maybe something to, you say, okay, you didn't have your best day, they had a lot of grit and duel, but we certainly, you know, you, you play this game to win. You don't play to tie. So I just think a lot of things went missing and, you know, maybe we kind of have that uh, hangover from last week, from the big win, so... It was just disappointing. I don't. I don't think we did a lot of good things. Um, it was probably not the most entertaining football match anyone's going to see. It was really a lot about emotions. They didn't let us play, and credit to them, we didn't play. Patrice Geyser, who was recently named the CPL's Manager of the Month for June, has a tough job ahead of him. AGR, thirty seconds or less. What's coming up next for both of these teams? Yeah, Halifax certainly has a, a tough week to start with the, the road team. They got Pacific at home tomorrow. Very short turnaround to get from one end of the country to the other. Uh, at home, though, they'll fancy themselves, but Pacific will be a bit hungry after some uh, less than ideal results. Then they travel to Cavalry away. Not a great uh, matchup either, given that Cavalry is also in very good form themselves. As for Vancouver, they get a bit of time off in midweek, but then they'll, they'll be back. Uh, you know, next next week for a matchup in Ottawa where they look for a bit of revenge from that 1-0 loss they had there earlier in June. Absolutely. Those are some exciting ones. I, in particular, am very excited for that Halifax-Pacific game. You know, a lot of storylines going into that. But AGR, we will talk to you next week. Thank you so much. And again, you guys can read him both at campiel.ca and One Soccer because uh, AGR is one of the hardest working writers in Canadian football. And as we move to our final CPL match of the weekend at York Lions Stadium. We bring back Mitchell Tierney, who was, I I guess, Drew, I don't know if this is really drawing a short straw because you saw a pretty <laughs> entertaining game at York Lions Stadium, but you maybe had to 
keep one half of one eye on the Canada game simultaneously. Uh, Mitchell, let's let's roll the highlights for York and Forge. Forge winning 4-0. Uh, Mitch, give me your, your takeaways on this game and your rating out of 10 in terms of its compelling factor. Yeah, a little cross-eyed this morning, but uh, I'll <laughs> go with uh, an 8 out of 10 uh, because I think this has the potential to be a real you know, resurgence point for, for forge. Um, you know, they did the things that they haven't been doing recently, which is scoring the first goal. They hadn't done that in, in seven matches and they get that uh, early on through Taryn Campbell. And then they continue to, to build on that, which is also something they've struggled to do um, of late. You know, they're a league leader and basically all of the, or at least uh, towards the top Pacific is the league leader in most offensive categories, but they're, they're usually about second in, in a lot of them, but they haven't been, Uh, the league leader in the most important offensive category, which is obviously scoring goals. Uh, But Taron Campbell did that plenty in this match. He gets three. Tristan Borges adds uh, one. That's uh, Campbell's first career hat trick for the CPL's all-time leading scorer and, you know, the fifth player uh, in CPL history to to record a hat trick, joining teammates Wubens, Pasillas, and Tristan Borges. Charlie, was that good enough to get Taron Campbell in the team of the week? It certainly was. <laughs> uh, I, I do think he's going to be in there as are a few other Forge players. Uh, Mitch, was it? Did Martin Nash say before this game that they didn't want to be York? Didn't want to be the team that that poked the bear that woke Forge up after a a really difficult month of June because I think they may have done that. Unfortunately for them, um, just talk to me about Forge and, and how much they maybe looked a little bit more like the Forge we've known in previous years, maybe didn't look so much like the Forge that had been struggling in June. Uh, He did say that. Um, Full disclosure, I may have sort of planted that quote because (laughs) it was something that uh, Tommy Wielden Jr. said about York when they came into York earlier this season. Um, Mm -hmm. And they obviously, you know, lost to York and York went on a bit of a streak after that. So uh, if there's any managers watching right now, maybe, maybe stay away from that quote because it doesn't seem to necessarily end well, but yeah, uh, this was a really big performance, obviously from Forge goes without saying, you know, even their win during this past struggling streak, there was a lot of red flags in, in the sense that they got scored on, you know, almost historically quick. And then, um, while scoring a few goals, they allowed Ottawa to come back. So this was one where they were just really dominant from from start to finish and a lot to like in, in how they played, you know, that first goal especially where when you've been struggling to score goals, you know, to, to take some of the, uh, I guess, margin for error out of it and, you know, Rama misses his chance. Okay, there's Hamilton there at the back post to, to take the shot. That is stopped by Giants Hopless. Okay, there's Campbell there to put it in. Like there was a lot of that during this match where there's multiple guys following up on on the play. And you know, the the return of a guy like Alessandro Hajabarpour is so important for that because that and that allows Kyle Becker, that allows Noah Jensen, who played really advanced sometimes. He, you know, he'd get down that that right flank. Uh Jordan Hamilton would tuck in the middle in, in the first half. And um, you know, they'd have just more numbers in the middle, more attacking options and again that's so important for a team that you know has been struggling to to finish some of those chances where okay you missed the first chance there's a guy right there to to finish it but yeah obviously big for for Campbell he's already got more goals this year for Forge than he did all of last season in terms of the CPL so I think that's kind of your guy leading the line right now and um in terms of you know this them being back 
they have a big opportunity to maybe continue to prove that against kind of their bogey team recently, Valor, uh, at home coming up this weekend. But right. uh, Bobby Smirniotis did put this very well um, in terms of saying, you know, he would have rather spread out the goals over the last little bit and <laughs> won this one 1-0. One and I think that that sums it up. You know, this was obviously a dominant performance and it could be very easily the you know, the point where we point to in the season and say that's where Forge turned it around again. But also, you know, it takes more than one result to do that. And um, we need to see them consistently play like this before we can really say, you know, Forge is back. Right. Yeah, I think a, a cathartic moment for Forge because they scored first. They scored a lot. Uh, Taryn Campbell scored a lot of goals. Again, I think he's now in second for the Golden Boot. He's on six goals now. Uh, he's I on believe. seven, so he's actually he's tied with uh, he's Meyer tied Bevan. for the golden boot lead with Meyer mm-hmm. Bevan. Uh, and also importantly for Forge is a clean sheet. You know that's yeah, not something that they've point. done all that much this year. So you know, that will also maybe go under the radar for a four 0 win, but very important. Now you alluded to Bobby Smirniotis and what he had to say. Let's go to York Lions Stadium and hear what the Forge gaffer said after this one. We did all the the right things uh, in the right moments, um, stuff that we've uh, preaching and uh, and working on, and I think the execution w- was very good. You know, take away obviously we've scored goals, but we've created chances. We've hit a two posts in the first half. I thought uh, our energy was good, and uh, we know if you if you continue doing the right things, uh, good things happen. Uh, you know, it's been a tough uh, spell for us uh, last uh, last few games. Uh, a lot of time, so this one was uh, was well needed. But uh, it's mostly uh, the overall performance of of the team that uh, that makes us happy. And of course, when you score four goals, keep zero in the other end, and three points, I think it's exactly what we needed at this point. Exactly what they needed at this point. Exactly what York United did not need was a four 0 loss at home to their nine hundred five derby rivals. Mitchell, you called this an ugly one for York. Uh, you know, shipping goals. They're losing to the rival Mobabuli, sent off from the bench. So he'll be suspended as well. Uh, tell me what the kind of reaction was in the York camp and what really was going wrong for them in this game. Yeah, I mean, they put a bit more of not necessarily a positive spin on it, but in the sense that, you know, this is an opportunity to be a wake-up call for them. And, you know, in matches where they come out and they're clearly second best from from the very start of the game in terms of energy in terms of you know how tactically switched on they were because one of the things that martin nash kind of lamented after the match was you know force didn't reinvent the wheel here they did they, they got success doing a lot of the things that you know you want to limit first and foremost when you play forge uh, tristan borges getting into major pockets of space um in front of your back line that's always a red flag when you're playing against forge fc allowing kyle becker time on the ball to pick up his head and um make those big switches in behind that, you know, obviously cause teams lots of problems. Again, another, another major red flag that you don't want to allow Forge to do. So um, yeah, those were a couple of the things that obviously led to this difficult result for, for York. And um, you know, the, the biggest thing now is seven points from seven home games Um, other than maybe their U 21 minutes, which they had zero again in this match. You know, that's probably the, the biggest concern for them right now as a club. Um, and something they have to fix in a hurry. So, uh, yeah, again, a, a lot to be concerned about in this match. Again, similar to Forge, it's one game. Um, they've been maybe not great, but they've been okay over the last little bit. So this was a bit of an outlier for them as well. But now the the challenge for them is to make sure that this doesn't manifest itself um, going forward. 
Absolutely. For the final words on this night at York United, we'll go back to the interview room one more time and we'll hear from their head coach, Martin Nash. First and foremost, I don't, I don't think we uh, we came to play from the start. I think uh, our energy levels were, were low. We were disconnected. We looked like we hadn't played together. Um, and some simple things that we talked about before the game, we weren't doing. Um, we worked on this week and talked about we just weren't doing and we knew exactly what they were going to do and they did exactly what we thought they would and we uh, knew how we should deal with it and we just weren't so uh, frustrating from you know coaching standpoint because it wasn't like it was uh, they changed everything they did and we were caught off guard it was uh, uh, you know tough one to take and but you know to be fair they they played real well Tough one to take indeed. Mitchell, 30 seconds or less. What's up next for both of these two teams? Well, as Zaffer mentioned, Forge, they host Valor uh, on Saturday evening at uh, at Tim Hortons Field. And for York, it, it only gets more difficult. They host Pacific, who will be coming off short rest, having played out on the, the East Coast. So that's an important thing to note. But a big stretch for the Nine Stripes here. Uh, they play a lot of home games. And mixed in there are away games, but away games in Ontario. Martin Nash mentioned they haven't had much time to train recently. So this is a key time for them to kind of, you know, get some of those tactical things nailed down that they haven't had the opportunity to do lately. That is right. Okay. Before we go, let's just take a quick look at the CPL standings as they are right now. Pacific still out in front, but it's getting a little bit tighter. Forge are just three points back. Granted Pacific have those two games in hand and then lower down the table for that fifth spot. There is a lot of competition, really no team, currently running away for it no team uh completely out of it so certainly a lot to keep in mind as we as we really reach the midway point of this 2023 season but obviously lots of games coming up so let's look at the midweek schedule first as we go into this week tuesday night that's tomorrow night halifax wanderers hosting pacific fc on that short turnaround that's uh again 7 p.m atlantic time uh, and then the next night cavalry hosting atletico ottawa 6.30 Mountain Time. That'll be 8.30 Eastern Time. Again, we're doing math on the fly here. Before we go into the weekend slate of games, Friday night starting us off, York and Pacific, 7.30 Eastern, followed by a doubleheader on Saturday. That's going to be Cavalry hosting Halifax, followed by the Tony Bet match of the week between Forge and Valor before Sunday night's uh, final game of the weekend. Or not Sunday night because it's at two o'clock Eastern, and I think it's a, a morning game in Vancouver. But uh, <laughs> Sunday's uh, slate fly, baby. <laughs> wraps us up <laughs> with Atletico Ottawa and Vancouver. And speaking of Tony Bet, I do have to remind you that you can play Campiel Predictor <laughs> at slash predictor. You pick the games, uh, you pick the winners, and you can win a bunch of money. So I would recommend you go and check that out. Anyway, for now, uh, enjoy the midweek games. Enjoy the games coming up this weekend. And we shall speak to you again next week. Crossed over Campbell, the hat trick. One more box on his CPL resume.
national win under his belts in his CPL debut.